uh, we've been gone on a little journey, and I've loved the journey that we've been on. The first week, uh, Ian preached, and he talked about knowing God. I don't have a title today. That is my title. It says a lot. Knowing God. Ryan talked last week about finding freedom, and today I'm talking about uh, discovery and um, making a difference, which sounds a little non-specific, but bear with me because it's not non-specific. Uh, I don't know about you if you're over the age of 40. There's a lot to not like about being over the age of 40, but there's also a lot to like about being over the age of 40. And uh, one of the things that I value about it is that I've found the older I get, the more I'm able to look back on experience and things that happened in my life, what good and the bad, the, the hard things, but you can see God's hand. I guess you can do that when you're young too, but you've just got a little bit more to look back on <laughs> when you're older. You can see God's hand, you can see your growth, you can see your change, you can see the journey that God is taking you on, and you've, you've discovered, by 40, generally you've discovered quite a lot of who you are quite a lot of, of who God created you to be, uh, your strengths, your weaknesses, the things you should be doing, the things you shouldn't be doing. I, sh- I should not worship lead. It's never in God's plan for my life. <laughs> no, no. This one week, I probably told you this before, this one week we had a live band in kids' church. I was like, this is so exciting. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to video it. We've had some of the kids, and I'm going to video it for Tom and Sue. So I'm videoing. I'm videoing. It's awesome. But I was singing. And then when I played it back, I was like, oh my gosh, I can't sing that to them. It's terrible. Because, you know, you want to sing to, like, get all the kids to sing and lead and all that. You know, not that I was leading, but lead from the, from the crowd. But I just, I couldn't share it with anyone because it was really bad. <laughs> um, so the journey I want to, I'm hoping that we'll go on today is about discovering a little bit about who God says we are, but also how we can make a difference. And we're going to do that in a brief 20 to 30 minutes. Sounds easy, doesn't it? I don't know about you, but sometimes uh, there's things in our lives or things in, in, our, in who we are that we don't really like about ourselves. Like we know it about ourselves, but we don't really like it about ourselves. And I spent a, a, a huge number of years not liking the fact that I was very loud, quite bossy, <laughs> quite dominant. I would do those, you know, I don't know if you grew up in church years ago, but often we would do these, you know, personality tests, and I would always come out as the, you know, the, the D for dominant or the C for choleric or the, you know, the, the one where they do the animals and you're the lion. The thing about being a lion is not many people want to hang out with a lion because they're scared they're going to bite the head off. <laughs> it took me a long time. I mean, I'm ashamed to admit how long it took, but it took me a long time to realize that actually, yes, there are negative things about my personality, but there are also positive things about my personality, and also that I'm part that sort of like sanguine one, the like fun one, life of the party kind of, that kind of people person. So that combination, you just have to learn when to go more one way and when to go more, <laughs> more the other. But, you know, uh, God has so much for us to discover about who he's created us to be. We're not just... You know, you can live your whole life just like, oh, well, I'm just, I'm just Amber, I'm just, I, I just am. But actually, God has uh, facets and things that he's created you to be that he wants you to discover. He wants you to discover, he wants you to understand, he wants us to uh, step out of just our little own world and, and how our personality 
works in our lives and our family, but outside of that to really know who he's created us to be. If you've never done one of those personality tests, I encourage you to do one. The, the more we understand ourselves, the stronger that we are. It's, a little self-awareness can go a long way. It's not an introspective thing to do to do something like a personality test. Uh, it's an honouring God thing to do, I believe. We're honouring God to understand his workmanship in our lives, who he's created us to be, so that we can be used for his glory. The better we understand ourselves, our strengths and our weaknesses, the better he can use us in other people's lives. I don't want anyone to say anything right now, but I want you to think. If you were to be asked, what are the five... Describe to me the five most positive things about yourself. Just try and think some of those. What are the five most positive things about you, about who you are, about who God's created to be, about your personality? Think of the five most positive things. Okay. Probably not giving you long enough to think about five, but anyway, we're going to move on. And what about describe the five most negative things about you? Who finds the negative things slightly easier than the positive things? You don't need to show your hands. I think that that's a little bit of human nature. It's quite easy for us to see our weaknesses, most, mostly, and harder for us to see the positive things about us. But Ephesians 2 verse 10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. For God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. When we can discover uh, who God has created us to be, the good and the bad, the strong things about our personalities and the weaknesses about our personalities. I can remember once when I was quite young and didn't really understand myself very well, I was out with a, a bunch of friends and we were at the supermarket making a very important decision what flavour ice cream we were going to eat. It's very important. There's about six or seven of us. And I don't know about you, but I'm really not down with indecisiveness. I really just, it, it, it annoys me. And so we're standing at the, at the freezer, and we're like, I don't know, do you want this one? I like this, but do you like this? And, you know, this whole really polite, nice, which is, you know, a good thing to do, be curious of other people's opinions and feelings. And honestly, we're there for like 10 minutes. Oh, it doesn't really, does it really matter what ice cream we eat? Let's, and then I was like, just pick an ice cream. And then somebody says to me, one of my, one of my friends says to me, why don't you just pick? You always do anyway. And I'm like, oh. And here I am thinking, that was like a real insult. Like, it, it kind of was pretty negative. Like, clearly I'm that dominant and nobody even gets to pick their own ice cream, I just decide. But I decide because nobody else will decide. <laughs> and that's a negative of my personality. But also a positive. When a decision needs to be made, I can, I can make it. But when we discover the, thing, the things about our personality that are both good and bad, have pluses and minuses, have good outworkings and negative outworkings. When we understand that and we couple it with our spiritual gifts, which God gives us, it's outstanding what we can see God do in and through our lives. Spiritual gifts are spoken about in the Bible. They're our natural abilities that God anoints, designed to fit our personality and our passions perfectly. 1 Corinthians 12 talks about spiritual gifts. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so that we can help each other. To one person, a 
The Spirit gives the ability to give wise advice. To another, the same Spirit gives a message of special knowledge. The same Spirit gives great faith to another, and to someone else, someone else, the one Spirit gives the gift of healing. He gives to one person the power to perform miracles, and another the ability to prophesy. He gives someone else the ability to discern whether a message is from the Spirit of God or another Spirit. Still another person gives the ability to speak in another unknown languages, while another is given the ability to interpret what is being said. And it is by it is the one and only spirit who distributes these gifts. He alone decides which each person should have. Which is a prime example about the body of Christ. We all have different gifts. And even if you don't know what that gift is, you still have it. God has still given you a gift. Even if you've never operated in it and have no idea what it is, you still have it. And I feel like that's something that, right back at the beginning of what I said, I, I feel like no one is excluded from this message today. No matter where you are on your journey to know Jesus, no one is excluded from having the spiritual gift. God has created you. God has made you. God has a plan for your life. God has something that He, something so precious that he has for you to do. It's a perfect example of the body, isn't it? The hand does not do what the foot does. The ear does not do what the eye does. That's why we're called the body of Christ, because we all have different strengths, different abilities. It's no good saying, oh, I'm just, I'm just terrible because I can't do that. I'm, I'm not as good as so-and-so because they can do that and I can do this. No, God clearly says he's given us different things to do. The gifts are also talked about, and I quite like it, in Romans 12, 6 to 8. Says, in his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is to serve, serve well. So it's not just talking about the gifts, it's actually like if you can if you're supposed to serve, go and do it. If you're a teacher, teach well. If your gift is encouragement, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you the leadership ability, Take that responsibility seriously. And if you are given, and if you have a gift of showing kindness to others, do it gladly. If God has given you a gift, if you've got a desire to be generous or to show love or to encourage someone else or to speak the word of God, the Bible says to do it. <laughs> Just go and do it. I think the beautiful thing about the gifts that God has given us, is that he doesn't, he's not asking us to be someone else. He's not asking us to, to behave in another manner. He's not asking you to act like someone else. He's saying, I will anoint you, the you that I've created you to be. I don't need you to try and be someone else. I don't need you to fit into a box and be someone else. I need you to be you. If you uh, have done Growth Track, uh, Growth Track takes you through, Growth Track is a course that our church does. Um, and I think a lot of people think it's a, it's a course about the church, but it's actually a course about you and how you fit into the church. So in Growth Track, you do a personality test and you do the <coughs> spiritual gifts test. It's about you finding your place in the church, in the house of God, in the body of Christ as a family, it's about you knowing God, finding freedom, 
and then we discover who God has created us to be and how we're called to make a difference in our world. You know, uh, we say I want to make a difference in the world. There's very few people that make a difference in the entire world. But every single person can make a difference in their world. If I was to throw a stone, it would ripple so far, and that would be my world. You know, when you throw a stone into a pond of water, I should have probably said water, right? <laughs> if you throw a stone into water, I just throw a stone in the ground, it's probably not going to ripple, unless it's like Hulk, Hulk Hogan, Hulk, not Hulk Hogan, the incredible Hulk stone. Who knows who Hulk Hogan is? <laughs> when I was younger, my brother used to get to go to Utica on Friday night, and I couldn't, and I used to wait for him to come home, because I couldn't, because I wasn't old enough. I used to wait for him to come home, and we used to eat ice cream and watch superstars wrestling together. <laughs> it's like the highlight of my life. Anyway, if you th- <laughs> slightly off track. If you throw a stone into a pond, it will make ripples, and that is our world. We can make a difference in the world by making a difference in our world. Where we are, where we go to school, where we go to work, where we, our families that we live in, we can make a difference in our world. And God doesn't need us to be someone else. He needs us to let him anoint the you that he created. God needs you to let him anoint the you that he created, your gifts, your abilities, for his purpose, for his kingdom. The same God who made you gives you these gifts, and he leads you to outwork them in your life. He's not asking you to be someone that you're not. That's not to say he's not going to stretch you slightly outside of your comfort zones of what you think you can do. Spiritual gifts are how God works through us so that others see that he is real. I was uh, driving the other day to, I think, Kmart to buy some awesome things for kids or youth ministry, and I just really was thinking about this message, and I just had this, I actually had to pull over and record it and send it to myself because I didn't want to forget and I didn't have time to write it all down. But I just had this overwhelming sense of um, just wanting to say this. That, you know, can't speak for every church, but I know, I know the people that run our church, and our church's heart desire. Yes, the church needs people to function. The church needs people to do things just to function. But our heart desire is that in the serving and in the doing and in the being in, the, being in this place, that you would find some of your destiny that you would find some of your purpose, that you or your children as they serve uh, would grow in their gifts and talents and their ability to do things, that they would be trained and equipped, that their talents would be utilized, challenged and growing in the doing of the church. We grow skill, <clears throat> we grow in ability, we grow in character, we grow in servant-heartedness, we grow in our love for Jesus when we serve in the house. Our destiny and purpose, <clears throat> especially when you're young, our long-term destiny and purpose is worked out in the short-term doing, in the short-term learning. You know, uh, we learn a lot about ourselves as we actually put to action some things. Now, this isn't a message about serving. It is a message about destiny. But God wants you to grow right now. God wants us to grow right now in the house. We don't need to wait. We don't need to wait till we've arrived. I don't know if that you ever feel like you've arrived because... 
I kind of thought I would have by 40, but I still don't feel like I have. So you don't need to wait till you've arrived. Our young people do not need to wait until they've finished school and, and finished university and reached their vocation to actually be using their skills and their abilities. We don't need to, we don't need to wait right here, right now, We can begin that process of growing and developing who we are, of building skills, of building ability. I just, um, yes, the church, the church needs people to function, but more so we need people to grow in his house, into everything that God is calling you to be, to function in your talents and in your abilities, to really serve the Lord. You know, often... Um, might be a sensitive thing to say, but I was going to say it anyway. Often when uh, people start helping to serve, <laughs> particularly teenagers, but not exclusively teenagers, but particularly, sometimes I'm going to be honest and say that it's, it's a little bit more of a hindrance than a help. But we choose to push through that because we know all the potential and all the amazing things that God has put in their lives. We know that God has so much for them and that we could be a part in helping to release that and helping to unlock that. And that's what the church is for. I mean, the church doesn't exist just to run an, an, a nice Sunday service that you come and you go, oh, well, wasn't that nice? The church exists as a functioning body that everybody would play their part, that everybody would... Uh, that everybody would feel at home, but that everybody would have the ability to use their gifts and talents, that we would mature in our calling. Jeremiah 29 verse 11, you will all know the scripture probably. It says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. It doesn't say if you have been serving in the church or if you have been a Christian for so many days, hours, months, weeks, years, if you uh, read your Bible every day, if you pray every day, if you are a good person, if you are kind to everyone you meet, if you have never sinned, thank goodness. It says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Firstly, I think either Ian or Ryan, I think it might have been Ian, gave us a little bit of context to the scripture, but I couldn't exactly tell you what he said, so I thought I'd say it again. <laughs> context of the scripture is that this letter was written by Jeremiah to the people of Israel who were in exile. This letter is, this scripture is listed, uh, yeah, the title to this part of the scripture is, is, is listed as the letter to the exiles. They've been exiled to Babylon by King Nebuchadnezzar. And do you know what he says before I know the plans I have for you to kill the Lord? Just kill the Lord? He's like, so build a house, grow a garden, have some kids, have some grandkids. You're going to be there for like 70 years. You're in exile and you're going to be there for a while. So, you know, make yourselves at home. But I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And you know what I think that says? I was just like, wait, what? You have plans to prosper me, but you're going to leave me in exile for 70 years? 
Just imagine you're walking through something really hard. Maybe you don't need to imagine very hard. You're walking through something really hard. And God says, I've got, I've got plans for you. And you're like, thank you, Lord. Plans to not harm you. Plans to give you hope in the future. In, in 70 years, though. Do you know what that says to me? Even in our darkest day, even when we can't see the light at the end of any tunnel, let alone the one that's right in front of us, even when we have no idea what the future brings, God still says, I've got a plan for your life. I've got a plan and it's for good. I've got a plan to give you a hope and a future. I've got a plan. And the most awesome thing about the fact that God says, I've got a plan, is he doesn't say plan. He says plans, plural, plans. Look. See, the, the, the thing before that had like one or two rows. This one has quite a few. Plans for your life. The Hebrew word for plan is <clears throat> not plan. It is design, invention, purpose, thoughts. It's not one thing. You know, we, if, you've got a, if you're building a house and you have more than one plan, it's not good. It's going to get real confusing, real messy, real expensive. But actually, <clears throat> when you see that the Bible actually means a design and an invention, something bigger than just one plan. God is a good father. He's not a, he's not a circus taskmaster asking you to walk along a tightrope. I've got a picture just of a tightrope. It's got no words just because I thought it was cool. God's plan for your life is not that. I mean, it might be one of them. If you have an aspiration to do that, go for your life. I really don't. But his plan for your life is not one singular plan. It's not a tightrope that you need to walk across, that you could fall at any moment. God's plan for your life is much more like an amazing, huge playground where he says, okay, go over there now. That was the coolest playground I could find online. Okay, now go over here. Do this. Now, there is often one singular thing that God has over your life, but it's not outworked in only one way. I was called to ministry very young. I was at probably school, or maybe it was when I left school and went to art school, but I knew very young that I was called to ministry, and I did that from 19 till I got pregnant with Bailey. So, how long that is? Eight years or something. And then I stopped, because I was having children, lots of children. <laughs> Only four, really, so it feels like a lot sometimes. And I, I told God I wasn't going back. No, no, not doing that again. I'm good. Being there, done that, ticked that box, played on that slide, don't want to go back. But actually, clearly, uh, God had other plans. So, you know, often there is one, one main calling on your life, one main plan, but actually God outworks in different places, in different locations, in different cities, sometimes in different islands of the country maybe in a different country. God outworks those plans in different ways. God's plan for your life is not a tightrope that you can fall off, but it's more like a playground that actually he can lead and guide you in. And I think that's exciting. It's exciting to know that actually um, it's not just one plan. 
Just because it's God's plan, it also doesn't mean it's going to be 100% smooth sailing. Who here has known that we're walking in God's plan, but man, the problems that you encountered. Man, the things that went wrong. I'm pretty sure that as Mary was, you know, about to give birth to, you know, the Son of God, <clears throat> she sat in the stable with the animals and was like, God, this isn't exactly how I imagined your plan was going to work out. I don't know about you, God, but if I was planning the birth of your son, it would have been somewhere a little different than this. So just because it's not smooth sailing does not mean it's not God's plan. God was not surprised or panicked that there was no room in the inn. He's not surprised or panicked when your life does not go perfectly because perfect was never his plan. He's got an A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, if you need it, plan for your life. I mean, have you ever read the Bible? Hopefully you have. I mean, the Old Testament is kind of like, okay, so you messed up. Let's do this then. Oh, well, you messed up again. Let's, okay, let's do this. Oh, oh, again. Let's, okay, let's do this. Okay, let's do this. God is all about the second chance, the change of plan. He can pivot when we need him to pivot. All he's asking us to do is surrender to him, to his plan, to be led and guided by him. Joseph is the perfect example of God's plan and evidence that things don't need to go smoothly. To recap Joseph really quickly, Genesis starts at Genesis 37. Joseph, you know, Joseph in the Technicolor dream coat, he was the favorite child, you know. Dad loved him the most. His brothers didn't like that. And then he dreams, he has these crazy dreams, which I'm sure, well, definitely God gave him, but maybe God... He missed the bit where he said you probably shouldn't brag about it. I don't know. Anyway, he has dreams that his brothers are going to bow down to him. He says a dream that also his father's going to bow down to him. And I, you know, <clears throat> I've got four children and I am one of four. And I know that if one of my children said, I had a dream and you're all going to bow down to me, or if one of my brothers said that to me, I'd be like, yeah, nah, that's not going to happen. <clears throat> so then his brothers, as lovingly as they could, sold him into slavery. Hopefully your children don't do that to each other. <laughs> I mean, you know, they were going to leave him to die, so I suppose that was the, that was the best next step. Uh, he ends up with Potiphar. As we know, Genesis 39 verse 2 says he succeeded at everything that he did. He ends up being put in charge of the house, and then if you know that story, Potiphar's wife was, um, you know, tried to have her way with him, and he was not up for that, but she, she told lies about him, and then what happened? He was put in prison. And in Genesis 20, uh, not 29, 39, verse 21, it says, the Lord was with, was with Joseph in prison and showed him his faithful love. I don't know about you, but I'd be like, God, your faithful love to me does not look like me sitting in prison. Like, I'm not feeling the love sitting in prison. But he worked hard. He was faithful where he was, even though it probably really sucked. He was faithful where he was. He ended up being put in charge in prison. He then interprets, I don't know, you know this part of the story, but he interprets two people's dream in prison. And then those dreams come true. And he says, remember me when you're out there. And do you know what the Bible says? Two years later, someone remembered him. Oh, yeah. There was a dude in prison who interpreted my dream. When the, when the Pharaoh had a dream, he, he was like, I don't know what this dream means. And then... The guy goes, oh, yeah, there's a dude. He's in prison. He knows how to interpret dreams. He remembered him two years later. So that was, we don't see 
Joseph's two years in prison. He was in charge. He was faithful. He loved God. But he was in prison for two years after that. So I don't even, I don't know. Does anyone know how long he was actually in prison for? I don't actually know the answer to that. Long time. Long time. Two years after the dream interpretation. So he's already been there, proved himself to be faithful, put in charge, interpreted the dreams. And then another two years later, Oh, yeah, there's a dude that interprets dreams. So then he's taken out, he interprets the Pharaoh's dream, and then he's put in charge of all of Egypt only under only Pharaoh. I'm going to go with from his dream about people bowing. So then, like, they've got all the food, so his brothers do come and bow down to try and be given food. If you don't know the story, read from Genesis 37. So his dream actually does come about. But I don't know about you, but I'm thinking that Joseph thinks from the time he had the dream to the time his dream was outworked, that wasn't particularly smooth. It wasn't particularly all sunshine and roses. There was a lot of times where he probably doubted and probably was like, God, what was that dream? I mean, my my father thinks I'm dead. It's never going to happen. But actually God's plan was still the same. All we need to do is surrender and be led by him. And like Joseph, in every situation he was in, whether it was a servant in the house, a prison in the prisoner, prisoner in the prison, he always did his best. And his leadership skills, his heart was recognized in those places. My favorite scripture has always been Ephesians 2 verse 20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine according to his power, at work within us. But you know what's more exciting than that verse, I think, is before it. It says, For the reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every, fa- from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name, I pray that his glorious riches, he will, may strengthen you with power through the spirit of your innermost being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and I pray that you will be rooted and established in love, may have the power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, how long, how high, how deep the love of Christ is, that to know this love is that surpasses knowledge, that you will be filled to a measure of all the fullness of God. Now, I know some younger ones are like, what? Because that's a lot of sort of fancy words. But that we would be strengthened by his love, that we would know that Everywhere we go, that's what it's saying, that we would be strengthened by his love, that we would be rooted, that our, that our lives would be so sturdy, that our foundation would be so deep in his love, that we would know that we would be able to grasp how wide, how high, how deep his love is for us, and that we could do, and then it says after that, now to him is able to immeasurably more. When we know God's love for us, that there is nothing that we can do that would separate us from that, when we know that, when we understand that, when we understand that even the good and the things that we don't like about ourselves, but God loves us, he created us, we are his workmanship. When our foundation of our lives is built so solidly and so deeply in that, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we could ask or even imagine according to his power at work within us. That means... There are no limits to the way that God can use you. There are no limits to the things that he might have for you. 
God's plans for your life, plans, nothing can stop those apart from us, not surrendering to God. I know many teens, especially if you're year 12 and beyond, have the weight of the world on their shoulders. They think, oh, what am I going to do next? What if I get it wrong? What if I make the wrong decision? You know, I, I sat at the end of year, well, it was called seventh form, but I, <laughs> I sat at the end of year 13 with two choices. Do I go to teacher's college? Do I go to art school? I went to art school. Was that the right decision? Probably not. Probably would have been better for me to go to teacher's college based on what I do now. Did anyone die because I made maybe the wrong decision? Did I stay in art school? I did not. I left art school to go into ministry. But the thing is, is, is there is a plan A, B, and C. Yeah, of course, it's going to be easy to make your right first decision. I had to pay off student loan for something I didn't ever really use. But I did learn things, and we met people, and we, we ex, you know, experienced life. I'm, by no means am I saying don't care. Do care. Do care about what God's leading you to, but, but don't carry the weight of the world on your shoulders about what this purpose is that I've been talking about. Just surrender to God and ask him. Ask him to lead you and guide you. Ask him to direct your paths. Take the world of, weight of the world off your shoulders because, you know, Jesus is called the Prince of Peace. So we take the weight of the world off our shoulders about what we're supposed to be doing with our lives. And we ask Jesus to come, who is the Prince of Peace. And I probably should have said this earlier, but I don't think this message is age-related. I don't think this is a message just for anyone under the age of 25, because I firmly believe that we always need to discover more about ourselves. We always need to discover what God has for us next. Maybe what you're doing right now is getting a little bit mundane, a little bit easy. Maybe God is saying, hey, I've got more for you. I've got a little bit other part of the playground I need you to go to now. We've always, no matter what our age, we've got to be open to the new things that God has for us. John 15 verse 9 says, this is, this is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Growing and bearing fruit is a serious business to God. He's expecting us to do it, all of us. It doesn't matter if you are very fruit-bearing in your 20s. It's not talking about biological children, by the way. Um, it doesn't matter whether you did stuff in your 20s that were really advanced the kingdom and it was awesome. If you're in your 50s, God still wants you to bear fruit. It doesn't say in the Bible you should bear much fruit if you're under the age of 40. That way is you showed my disciple. But everybody else, you're just my disciples anyway. It doesn't say that. We're supposed to seek the Lord we're supposed to understand ourselves and we're supposed to be led and guided by him into the things that he wants us to do to make a difference in our world.